0: Now's the time to talk with Jerry on the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. Call in now at 719 1490. Well, if you're one of the millions who own one of them gas drinking, piston clanking, air polluting, smoke belching four wheel buggies from Detroit City, then pay attention. I'm about to sing your songs, on. Huh? Welcome back to the second hour of the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show right here on ESPN Tucson in beautiful Tucson, Arizona. 1490 AM, 104.9 FM. Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. I've only been doing this uh, 30, I think 35 years. Uh, But I like to talk to people. Now, we just went through Memorial Weekend. Anybody out there have any problems with their vehicles while driving over Memorial weekend? Anybody blow a tire on a freeway? Uh, Anybody run across a heating problem? Uh, There just any any questions that you might have. You know, I'm sitting here. The only computer I have is in my head, which every now and then I question. But I've got a smartphone sitting right beside me. All my technical computers are down at the shop. And so we can get into a lot of the light duty stuff that especially the maintenance seems like the maintenance is creating 90% of the stuff that we're having to repair down at the shop. Um, I talked to, uh, Mike, uh, over, uh, over uh, at Parker and, uh, he, you know, and by the way, this portion of the show is brought to you by Parker Automotive. And 323 1960, 323 1960, is located at 5101 East Speedway, 5101 East Speedway. And uh, I want to get to him just a little bit more. I, I'm going to stay with it right now. Air conditioning and coolant flushes, AC service and coolant flushes. Replacement, service, and replacements. In other words, it's on the coolant flush, you want to flush it out like you're supposed to, all the way out, and then replace it with fresh coolant if it's due for it. Air conditioning uh leaks in your air conditioning system are not supposed to be there. And uh, I talked to a gentleman last week. He called me, and he's Jerry. Says I just I've got a I got a question on my uh, my air conditioning on my F six fifty Ford. He says. It has been sitting for over a year, and I decided, well, it's getting hot out there now, so I'll go go charge it up and fix it. So he put a little machine on it, or he he sucked it down somehow, used something that he has at his house. He sucked it down, and then he added uh, Freon. And he says, and I can't get it to cool down, and I've added the Freon. And I said, oh? I said, well? And he told me what it replaced in it, all this. I said, well, you know, uh, without seeing the truck, uh, you know, you've you got a little accumulator valve in there. Uh, did you change that? Well, no. You know what it is? Yeah. Oh, okay. I said, but tell me how you measured the amount of Freon that you put inside the system. He said, well, I just put it in there until it, it come up to the high side. And I said, okay, that's close. That'll that'll do it. Well, if you go over it or under it, you're going to get basically the same cooling problem. So when you're doing your your, uh, air conditioning repairs on yourself, one, please don't use uh, air conditioning sealant that you put in these systems. Air conditioning sealant does just exactly that. Will it work? Oh, yeah. It'll work. It'll plug up everything, including your... uh, it'll it'll plug everything up. I mean it'll it'll stop the condensers and and then when you take it into Brian's place over there or Simmons or Mike Parker's uh Parker Automotive, we test the freon. We test the system to find out what kind of contaminants that are in that before we pull it out in a $7500 machine and contaminate different vehicles when it comes in. We know what you put in there. If you put the thing is If you put a sealant in there and we suck that stuff out, now we've got that sealant inside our big expensive machines, that's not going to work. So when you take it, it's just like having fix a flat in a tire. When you take it in to have it serviced, make sure you tell whoever is going to be servicing this, oh, and by the way, I put the sealant in there. Because they're going to know it and they're going to be hot. Because you didn't tell them. In fact, most of them now will ask you, have you ever put sealant in your conditioner, in your AC? And when we get that stuff in these machines, they're very expensive, very expensive. And, you know, if you've got a leak in your air conditioning system, uh, please just have it fixed. Have it fixed. Air conditioning compressors do not leak out of the backside unless there's a leak there. They are, they uh, it doesn't come from a factory with a leak in the back of it. So if you see a leak down there, every shop that I know has a leak detector for air conditioning systems. We have dye we can put in the stuff. We can track it with a, a black light. Uh, we can track it electronic uh, detection. You know, so yes, we can find that. But you need to have your air conditioning service about once a year. Okay? Now, one reason is the lube inside that's responsible for keeping your air conditioning lubed up on the inside is transported via the coolant or the Freon or whatever you want to call it that you have inside your AC unit. That has to circulate in order to do it. Otherwise, it just sits there. Well, if you don't use the air conditioning, which is not, is unheard of here in Tucson, because if you've got air conditioning, you're going to be using it almost 365 days a year. You can get up in the morning and be 40 degrees. By three o'clock, it's 90. So, well, actually, it's not, it only goes up about 36 degrees. But still, you turn it on. For the people who do that, you're actually better off than the person who says, well, I'm going to save some gas, so I'm going to just roll the window down a little bit, and uh, I'm not going to use the air conditioning. Uh, The air conditioning, that oil inside that compressor is very critical. It needs to be circulated. It's just like anything else that lays in a line and doesn't do anything but lay there. It's going to create a debris. It's going to create a coating on the inside. Uh, that's the reason you want to have these things checked at least once a year. Just go in and say, I need an AC inspection, and the guys will put the gauges on it. They'll check your high pressures, your low pressures. The same thing that you do when you call a person out to do your air conditioning units on your house. It's an annual service. They come in. They do the compressor test. They check all the high pressures, low pressures, leaks, anything, to see if there's anything wrong with it. I've got a a compressor unit here It's 22 years old now. I have built two units, but the one that I use the least is the one that's 22 years old. And I bring them out. They check everything on it. I told them I don't like surprises at 110 degrees. I don't like surprises. That's the same thing you want to do with your car. You want to keep that fluid circulating in there, using it a little bit, you don't have to turn it on ice cold. You can back the regulator down on that thing halfway. It'll give you a nice little cool breeze and it won't, you know, the fuel economy that you're going to save by cutting that air conditioner off, I don't think it actually equates to the amount of money you can possibly spend when all of a sudden you have a leak and you don't know why. Because it's dried out and then you've got a pressure issue. So just be sure to have your air conditioning checked, uh, you know. And I, I didn't even think about that until I was talking to Mike, and Mike said air conditioning needs to be checked at that time of the year. And that's one thing that I wanted to say with it, to tie it into the heat issues on the car, because if the air conditioner goes out, let's let's take another other another angle at this air conditioning. That's run by serpentine belt. If your compressor locks up or blows up, especially if it locks up, that serpentine belt and the clutch, something's going to turn loose. And when it does, if you lose the serpentine belt, you're going to be calling Frontier Towing at 748-1100 and getting a ride in because that controls most of the – in fact, it covers almost all of your accessories that you're running, your power steering, your alternator, your AC compressor, your water pump. All of that stuff is pretty much tied in now. So uh, just have the air conditioning checked. Make sure you've got adequate Freon in it, adequate oil inside the Freon so it can be transported through there. Uh, It's not – actually, I say run it once a month. Turn your air conditioning on and run it once a month, 12 months a year. You don't have to be in it. You can just turn it on and let it idle. But you need to idle it for probably about, I'd say, ten fifteen 15 minutes with the air conditioning on and uh, make sure all that stuff stays lubed up in there. One, when you hit the compressor and you're running 55 mile an hour and you hit the compressor, all of a sudden the clutch engaged and it comes on, uh, then it'll already have been, it has fresh oil and it had oil residue that's actually hanging in there and you're not getting a dry start. Um, now, on the alternators, Speaking of alternators, that ties in with batteries. Batteries in the summertime, if you run an electric vehicle and you have a high uh, mm. uh, heat factor, you can lose 40% on an electric vehicle while you're driving it because of, uh, you know, not above 90 degrees. Now, if you're running a car battery, you're supposed to be having an alternator that's got that constant little charge. that goes back to the battery. Most of them still do that on a regular basis. They run all the time. Now you've got them where they actually are computer-controlled, they're electric, they're electronic-controlled, and they will know when your battery is down and when it needs to actually engage the alternator. That's part of the cafe. That's part of saving fuel because you have to turn an alternator. Uh, Same thing with your fans. You've got fan clutches now that are fans that are computer-controlled. It tells you, uh, you know, okay, the computer says uh, the temperature is too high, we need to – Uh, increase the speed of the fan coming through there's all sorts of fancy stuff on there that uh, you have to watch but you just need to be aware that you have them i mean there's people out there running around right now don't even know they have a cabin air filter cabin air filter you're going to take a trip you haven't changed your cabin air filter in 12 months i highly recommend you change your cabin air filter before you leave because When you get out on the road, if the cabin air filter is partially plugged and then you need the air conditioning, you turn the air conditioning on, and all of a sudden it's not blowing at the speed it's supposed to because it's trying to suck through a plugged filter, and it won't give you the cooling that you're expecting. So that is one of the reasons that when you get this uh, air conditioning service, the garages should should know what the flow is and what causes the interruption of flow of cool air to the cabin. And so you want to get that checked out. Cabin air filters, you can go to Merle's and get a cabin air filter. Most of the cars, you can Google it, and it'll tell you how to change the cabin air filter. They're not that sophisticated. My F-150 is more sophisticated than my uh, 218 Dodge. One's a 17, one's a 18. But it can still be done. And you can Google it. I Googled it just to see what I was referring you to to make sure that it's got enough information of where you can change it. And the last sentence on the Google on the F-150 said, if you're having difficulties, take it to your dealer. Now you can take it to your independent garage, too. They can figure it out. I did. <laughs> you got it done. On your batteries, batteries in Arizona last about uh, 24 to 30 months. And that's and then the new ones when they come out they say, Well, they run a little bit longer. They do because everything is better. Everything is not worn in, everything is still fresh, uh, and they will last thirty six. My dad called me one time, he had a, his battery is almost five years old. He lives in North Carolina where the humidity's up, the temperatures are cooler, and uh he parks it in the shade all the time. He don't sit there and cook it. And he, he he just runs just enough to keep the battery up is all he was doing. But when it did go out, he was not sitting in his, at his house. <laughs> he was sitting at a shopping center. And before he could get that thing done, he he finally found some guy that had a set of jumper cables. And so he jumped his old battery, and I like to a heart attack. But he was a heavy-duty truck technician, so uh, he knows how to do it. And he got back to the house, and on the way back to the house, he bought a battery, and then when he got home, he changed the battery out. Now, you can do that on an older vehicle. You can change it. And Brian Fuller and the information that I give you about a month and a half ago on a, a guy that changed a battery in a uh, 2013 Ford, I think it was, um, That it, that was a disaster. Because the relearn, the way that was changed out, there had to be a spike in the electrical system, but it done a lot of damage. So if you don't know what you're doing with these batteries, and the other thing, you need to know what caused the battery to go out. That's a reason you'll see the good shops. They'll put these big fancy vats and stuff on this system, and they will verify how the alternator's actually working. They'll verify if it's running, if it's running lazy. They will find out why the alternator is running lazy. It could be something like a serpentine worn belt on the front of the engine. Uh, it could be um, a bad diode in the alternator. Uh, it could be an altern. And by the way, diodes in the alternator, people say, oh, when the diode goes, they just go. No, they don't. Okay? They will start failing. They'll work part-time. They, they think that they have a time off that they can do, and they'll just take it. So if you're lucky, they'll go out, and that then that's an easy diag. But you can hook these machines to it and say, oh, the yeah, diode seem to be doing well. It's changed, it's charging at thirteen six. Man, that thing is that thing is really pumping out. Okay, if it's thirteen six, what's it doing at the battery? Is it charging at thirteen six at the battery? Or Is there a connection issue with the wiring or the little plug-in on the back? Like uh, I think Ford Motor Company had one. It was almost impossible to charge on the uh, alternator. The little clip would explode on the back or melt down. And you go, what the heck is it melting down for? Normally when you get a meltdown on that thing, uh, there is an issue. And when you do the change that little plug on the back of that alternator, you go around and you look at all of your ground wires. And make sure that all of the ground, we call it ground around inside the engine compartment, and you make sure that that is fixed enough to snuff before you just assume that you fix it. You can put a battery in one. Okay. Um, You can put a battery in it, and it can be 30 days the battery's flat, or a week the battery can be flat again because it's running on nothing but the battery, and it depends on your drive time on that battery without anything being replaced how long you'll actually drive it all right understand we got a caller yeah we got a pat online one jerry
1: all right let's speak to pat
0: pat good morning
1: good morning how are you jerry i'm
0: doing well how are you pat long time you to have... talk to
1: yeah it has been a while i'm doing all right i i want to tell you number one um i gotta tell you you've got probably one of the nicest shops and the time i spent there one of the nicest shops you wade does a fantastic job your drive chef shop is fantastic clean shop good people good techs and i just i just want to tell you i can't say enough good things about your guys shop well thank it's you a, i
0: appreciate you kind words it,
1: it, it, well it's it's the truth it's it's a it's a fantastic shop, and if the coronavirus didn't hit everybody at the shop over there, I'd, I'd probably would have still been there. And I just want to thank you guys for the opportunity. I'm sorry that everything kind of took the change it did, but you guys, I can't tell you the, really what a wonderful shop you guys have. And it, it being there firsthand and watching what a really good organization you guys have, I just have to say, I can't think of a better shop to take a vehicle to. Well, thank you. Thank You're you. very Appreciate welcome. It. And here's number two. I just wanted to add, when you're talking about air conditioning and fuel mileage, I, and I and I don't know if you touched on this because when I was sitting in the other part of the house here, but the other thing is these new cars are designed to run with the windows up. So if you're driving on the highway right. and you're thinking you're saving money by running with the windows open, you're not because you're defeating the whole purpose of the design of the car or the truck, for that matter. Yep. So you're not saving I agree.
0: Yet. Pardon me? What I want to know is how do the manufacturers actually – I tried driving down the road with the window down, just to see what it would do. Sure. There's a drone sound that comes through the inside of that cabin that will drive you to roll your window up. Oh, you bet. And I'm, I'm going – and a that's of, at freeway
1: speed, it. and it's
0: horrible.
1: It is. But you're and absolutely correct. It, and you won't find it in an older vehicle. Like, I've, I've got – obviously, my two pickup trucks do not have anything in the way of A.C., so I can drive the windows open. The only thing I hear is the roar of the vents and everything else, and and it's not a comfortable ride as I'm getting older. Thankfully, the car I have has really good AC. But you're right. Some of these cars they do have a certain drone. If you have certain windows down in wrong positions, they have either a drone or a roar or some kind of some kind of I don't know. It's and Annoying. you're right.
0: It, it can really it's an annoyance
1: the- that will make you roll the window up. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of like you, know, you want to deal with the heat, or do you want to but, deal with 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 with, that, with the with the drone? And, and you're right; it's it's a it's it's a pain.
0: Well, but, you, you ahead, hit on Jerry. something Sorry. right there. The air conditioning on the older vehicles, the way it was designed, and the air conditioning compressors and stuff, they pulled about anywhere from five to seven
1: horsepower. Just, oh, you bet, especially those old Chrysler, Chrysler V-types, and plus that, they're heavy as hell, too. Yes, they are. But, and uh,
0: now, uh, and people were used to, then you'd say, okay, well, you you add five more horsepower back to that engine, that gives me a little more power, it gives me, and driving the same speed, it's less throttle response, less throttle you've got to have to make that thing go down the road. I,
1: sure.
0: I, I agree with that. I, I understand that 100%, but you look at them now. And everything is tied into the computer. The computer will say, okay, well, we don't need this much fuel right now, so we'll cut it back a little bit. We'll hit the fuel trim back. Sure. And then, oh, all right, he just hit the passing gear, so we've got to unload. It. It's called wide open throttle. And you, you push it all the way down the floor because that's what you've been taught to do if you want to drop it down a gear and go on. But now everything is electronic. The computer will say, okay, I need to drop a couple of gears to get him on around this based on the throttle positioning sensor switch that sends it to the computer. So everything's controlled. But I have not, I have not seen the fuel savings by running around town in a hundred degree weather in these vehicles with a window down. I haven't seen it, even in my Mustang, and it's got air conditioning. I just roll the windows up and turn it on. Say, Let it pull whatever it's got to pull. But I, I don't see that. So people say, well, you know, with air, and used to be, look at your automatic transmissions, Pat. Mm-hmm.
1: Now you got an automatic in your car, right? Uh, the, the Corolla I have has automatic. Both the trucks are both manuals. One's a four-speed. The other one's a three-on-the-column. So right, Yes, I do have an automatic.
0: Pardon which me? one has better gas mileage, automatic or st- In your car, if you had a stick shift in it and you have the automatic, which one do you think has the best
1: well, fuel economy? In the late model cars, I think it depends on the driver. And that that's the, in the late model cars, it's kind of a it's kind of a coin toss, and it depends who's driving it. But in the old days, with with like the old style hydramatics, and I'm talking, we're talking dinosaur areas, like the 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 hydramatics, not turbo hydramatics, but the old old hydramatics with a lot of slip. The only really yep. efficient transmission back in those days was the Chrysler torque flight, and then you still had your variants in the Ford automatics. If you if you put if you put two same model cars together with with one being an automatic, the other one being a manual, and the driver has good skills in the manual. The manual back in the in the in the old days would always pull better mileage in most cases, right? Because you you weren't losing in torque converter and fluid slip and so forth and and back in those days too, even with a turbo 400 and a turbo 350 and a Chrysler 727 and a 904 and C6 and whatever other automatic you're talking about. They never had direct. They never were fully 100% locked. 100% locked up. There was always about a two, three, four percent slip, even when you're doing highway driving. Henceforth, in the mid 70s, that's why the Chrysler was one of the first ones to come out with it with, with a locked up converter, and then GM and, and Ford followed suit. And then obviously overdrive came into play. So to answer your question, newer cars, it's a coin toss. Most of the newer cars, the automatic is going to probably have a little bit of a better edge. Unless the person who's driving the manual really knows how to drive a manual and how to operate the the ranges, if that makes any sense. It makes perfect sense. And it, that's, that's but you
0: you hit it pretty close while ago. It's called the right foot, precisely. <laughs> and but, right foot on the accelerator. And I I keep going back to Brian Fuller said, "All in favor of saving fuel, raise your right
1: foot." Oh, well, exactly, and, and that depends, and, then, and you can you can just see if you're a casual observer and you're watching people drive around you and you're watching somebody blasting by you in a, in a late-model Chevrolet truck or a Dodge truck or Ford, whatever it is, and they're floorboard and they're doing a pretty good rate of speed, or if you're sitting in a light and you're watching somebody and there's an angle and you're watching somebody hold the weight of a one-ton truck with a full work body and of a bunch of piping and everything else in it, And they're using the transmission to hold the weight of the vehicle on that hill instead of using the service brake. That's a really fast way to shorten the life of a transmission. And it really doesn't do any of the driveline any good in the process either. So, there's driving, I think that's what it boils down to to get back to Brian's original point. Driving techniques not only save fuel, but it saves driveline components, it saves fluid, it saves your transmission. It saves extra stress and load put on, their, on the cooling system. So there's so many things that come into play if you develop, I, I want to say, bad habits or bad techniques to drive vehicles because a lot of them can be life component life-shortening things.
0: That's right. The so, other thing that uh, surprises me on that, uh, well, it doesn't surprise me because I'm always driving and watching everybody else do what they're doing stupid. Oh, I do. Uh, I when do you're things. driving – when
1: <laughs> when
0: you're driving, I, I swear one of these days I'm gonna have my little redneck fun pilot out of my shirt pocket, and I'm gonna start writing down license numbers on these cars, <laughs> and then I'm gonna I'm gonna make a, a I, I, I'll just call out the license number because some of the stuff is so stupid. I'm going, they just didn't learn this overnight. This is oh a God, no. driving habit that they've created, and why in the world is what is so life threatening? life-threatening, that you have to endanger other people's lives to drive on the roads of Tucson, Arizona. Oh, God, yes. You know, the speed. Golf links remind me of NASCAR. (laughs) You know, everybody's running. They're running 10 miles, 15 miles over the speed limit, and they're almost bumper to bumper.
1: But not to mention that. Don't they they realize
0: that your reaction time and the guy in front of you may be different? Don't they realize that the brakes on your vehicle May stop quicker than the guy behind you that's following you too close you know there's there's too many factors and as long as you're and then pedaling <clears throat> I call it pedaling right the accelerator pedal the accelerator oh i'm running forty five mile an hour oh, I run down to forty uh forty four mile an hour. I need to accelerate back up to forty five mile an hour oh i'm running forty seven now so I need to get off of the accelerator and I go to i call it pedaling. And on these late-model vehicles, like one is is the 10-speed automatic on the Ford. You back off of it, okay. Then you accelerate again. It depends on how many RPM you drop down. And then you can barely feel that 10-speed changing gears. All it's doing when you're doing that is burning fuel. I mean, it's running up through the gears. It's monitoring everything the best it possibly can. And that idiot behind the wheel... (laughs) <laughs> Keep pedaling it if you wanted a pedal car, go buy
1: one well exactly well, the other then, thing is too the other The other thing that really saves a lot of driveline shock is that they when they went to when they went to fly by wire accelerate instead of getting rid of of cable acceleration for the throttle body now it's all it's all electronically controlled. So right. when you back off the throttle, it's not a sudden. It's not a sudden close back. It, it 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 gradually will bring itself back to the the idle, whatever the position needs to be. So that to me really I think alleviates a lot of unnecessary driveline shock. But still, you can't make a car if a person has bad driving habits. You're still not going to save it from from short life and and and. Uh, to, uh, uh, greater brake wear and greater replacement on your brake parts, greater replacement on your your transmission parts, greater replacement on your U-joints, your drivelines. So there's, the biggest thing to really save yourself a ton of money is to drive it like it's supposed to be driven, if that makes any sense.
0: Well, it does, except it makes sense to me, you know, but my version of driving it the way it's supposed to be is like uh, yours, you know. Uh, and I'll I'll put an example out there. Let's say that I have a six-speed Mustang, 2018, with a it's a Cobra,
1: okay? Sure.
0: And I'm driving it on the streets in Tucson, and you got a six-speed, okay? One, the sound on those things is very addictive.
1: Beautiful. Oh God, gotcha.
0: But the only way you're going to get the full effect of that is you're going to have to run up some RPMs on it when you take off from a stop sign or you take off from a stoplight. <laughs> and these little cars squirt out like a like somebody shot them out of a of the back of an aircraft carrier. And that is cute to watch it to drag strips. And, you know, as long as they don't uh, spin the tires or go past the speed limit, it's actually legal to do. But... What about your fuel economy? Anytime you push that accelerator down, it drops it. Jackrabbit starts is on my diesel, on my 06, I should say. I tried the jackrabbit starts with that. Of course, it's got a turbo lag in it that takes it about two and a half minutes to wind up before you get going, actually, quicker than that. But you mash it to the floor, and I did, did, and I never got over the speed limit. But I'd mash it to the floor, taking off, as long as the road wasn't wet. And... Two and a half mile per gallon difference in a tank of fuel.
1: Oh, sure. That
0: is real. That was testing it and having to remind myself that I am testing it, do it every time in order to do that. My granddaughter was driving hers uh, Dodge Hemi, and she was getting a lousy fuel economy. And then my daughter told me, says, you ought to be riding with her when she takes off from a stoplight. She's afraid that she might inconvenience somebody if she don't just blow through, just really fire off from that stoplight. And uh, so I had a little chat with her, and I told him, I said, why don't you try it my way one time. You take off with the traffic, not the guys trying to drag race you beside, but the regular traffic, and just ease it on down and go on through the intersection. You'll get there on the other side. and and stay in with the speed limit. You'll be fine. And oh my gosh, she picked up almost, I don't know how much she was hitting that accelerator, but she picked up over three mile per gallon just by doing that consistently for one tank. And then she's been doing it that way ever since. She's had another vehicle since then and she drives her little, I think she's got a Nissan Rogue and she does it the same way. She loves it. She says, Yep, as long as you don't speed when you're taking off from a uh, stoplight. Well, you're not really speeding. You're just over-accelerating, and it's unnecessary. So the people that want to drive these cars and hear this sound, you know, you're not going to change that. As long long as they don't don't accelerate and burn tires away from a stoplight and run 80 miles an hour to the other crosswalk across the intersection, uh, I don't have any problem with that. They won't do that. But if I catch one doing it, I think I'm just going to start writing plate numbers down and brand of cars, and putting it. We'll call it the Simmons Shame Drivers or something like that, or, or the Simmons <laughs> the Simmons Survey of Shame Drivers. Yeah, the Simmons <laughs> Technical Survey, <laughs> as seen personally out on the roads of Tucson. Exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but you take
1: <laughs> you. I was- Go ahead, <laughs> Go- Sorry about that. No, you go ahead. What I was gonna, what I was gonna add, you, know, you always watch the notorious lane floaters. You have a three lane, you have a three lane road going up Campbell, whatever case, whatever it is, and you have the lane floaters that sit there right at the back of you, and they'll sit there, and all of a sudden they'll cut right in front, and they'll slither and slam the other, and they'll they'll sit there and do probably like you said, 15 to maybe 10 miles an hour more than anybody else, and yet when the light turns red, who do you see next to you when you when you stop at the light? The lane floater. So they've done all this risky driving, risking the license, risking the insurance rates and all that to pull up to light and still be the same place you're at. And I'm just doing the, the speed limit, staying steady and keep myself out of trouble.
0: I can run the speed limits in Tucson, Arizona with my Dodge Diesel, And it's a 218 and it has computerized everything. Right. You know, I mean, everything. In fact, I'll right. probably die before I ever figure out all the accessories and stuff that I've got on that. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, except I do know, one, that if I have a low tire, I will get an email from Dodge telling me I have a low tire and which one it is. Oh, really? That's how tied in – yes, sir. That's how tied in these vehicles are to the um, to the uh, dealerships. And, you know, the thing – in fact – That brings up another interesting little thing. How about these black boxes? That's something to ask Emily at State Farm about the black boxes that they've got in that records everything you do. It records when you hit your brakes, uh, at what speed you were running when you hit your brakes. And this is for insurance investigations and for crashes. That's the reason they can determine, okay, are you partially responsible
1: for this crash
0: or are you 100% responsible for these crashes?
1: Well, it, it, and when uh, I get, no, go ahead, Jerry. Sorry about go ahead. that. No, was saying, no it's it all right. Kind of go cut, ahead. It normally cuts through the field of crap of what kind of stories you're going to get. But that that was going on, that actually was starting to be a controversy in the late 90s because uh, GM their systems were already recording throttle position and 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 speedometer position, all that when the airbags would blow off. So their their systems are starting to record that. So that was actually starting starting to be a controversy even back in the in the late 90s and early 2000s. But anyway, I didn't mean to. I, I digress. Go ahead and go back to your original point. I like it. Uh, I do. Go ahead. I do too because it's it certainly it's certainly kind of if if somehow somebody's not really being quite frank as they should be. The little black box is going to kind of, kind of maybe, maybe kind of edit the story down to where there might be some more truth into it.
0: Well, it's you information. You know, this is an information age we live in. Sure. If it didn't, if it wasn't an information age, I wouldn't have a smartphone, and I'm actually doing a radio program on. Right. And uh, you know, so information is very critical. It's how you use this information. And, you know, but it's there. I mean, the big guys are watching, you know, you drive your truck. It's nice to know that they know where I'm driving. It's nice to know that they could actually track me if they had to. Uh, It's just like the equipment we have for search and rescue. Uh, You know, we have stuff out on search and rescue. We have a guy at base camp uh, at ops that's sitting there on a computer. He knows exactly where me and my mule are at all times. When we get back in from a search, he's got a graft on it. You can do the same thing with a vehicle. Jeez, the technology is there. If somebody would just tell me why the phone company can't find these phone scammers, since they're using the phones, why don't they find who the, uh, who they are? I mean, my gosh, if you can hack a Pentagon, you can darn sure find out where a, a, a phone scammers coming from.
1: So, <laughs> It's just that's not important. Very, that's very true. But so. the other point I want to make too is when you're talking about the black boxes, the big battle is the big argument is, is is it the owner's property or is it public information? And I think that's where they they come in. Can it be used? Can can a can a lawyer the lawyer from the opposite side who's suing who's ever suing the other person? can they subpoena those records and can they use it legally or is it the owner's property that's that's where they're, that's where they're, the controversy is and and I don't know where they're going to rule on that have they ever ruled on it but that's what the big argument is is it is it the owner's property is it who who owns who who who's, who's the proprietor of this information that's that's what it boils down to well
0: at. i would like i would like to ask and i did not ask emily but right The black box, all right, if you got that information stored in this black box, like they have black boxes on airplanes and stuff like that that the FDA goes through or FAA goes through every time there's a plane crash, you've got the, the technology is already in there. We have that technology. So do the insurance company... I mean, if you have uh, – it seemed like I remember something that if you had a certain electronic gadget on your car and you put it on your car and you make it available to the insurance company, it can actually determine uh, if you can get a better rate. And that's oh, the, all I, I said, if you can get a better rate. Or you sure. or you get hosed because <laughs> I'm not
1: insuring you. You're an idiot. <laughs> well, I know because, because normally I, there's so many different systems of the majority of them. You plug it into the where you where you, would, where you would do your scans, that that one port underneath the dash. It would any OBD2 system. You would plug it into that system, and then they would mm-hmm. record the information. Like you said, if 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 you have a good record on paper, but you drive like a maniac in reality, then yeah, you, your rates could. I guess your rates could make a, a drastic change, and so what you're trying to save that kind of kind of takes a U-turn on your wallet, I guess. So. Oh yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, but, but but it's here, it's here, and it's, I mean, they've got cars out now that you can have partial driving assistance, in other words, like you come up on, they got uh, integrated uh, cruise control, you'd be sure. going down the road and you're running 65 mile an hour, you're coming up behind somebody running 55 mile an hour, and the cruise control just adjust you down at exactly. whatever speed they're seeing in front of you. Okay? I think that's actually pretty good. I or you can drive it. off the corner of the road, and all of a sudden you have that driving assistant, just put your butt right back on the road without oh, exactly. jerking it back on the road, without flipping you in the air. What uh, I think done. that's pretty good. Even though my sister wasn't too impressed with it the first time she had it happen to her on her uh, Honda uh, van, uh, and she... Said I am going to the garage when I get back home, and I'm going to get my fifty Allen's fifty four Ford out, and I'm going to drive it. I know where it's going. <laughs> I thought, yeah. But the you've got thing
1: steering is, too, is assist, you've got lane change assist. Well, exactly, sorry, and then, go then the ahead. braking system too. Like you said, it it all saves. Like we're all getting attentive, and there's a couple times I've climbed on the back of cars where I realized, well, wait a minute, you better slow up here because I'm either daydreaming or I'm not paying attention to what I should be. So those systems, to me, I, I think are invaluable as far as avoiding really major rear-end accidents or, or going off the road and, and horrible rollovers, or, or the list goes on and on. So well, if that, that saves thing... a person from that, but the problem, here's the other problem. Here's the other side of that coin. If you put too much reliance on that, then you can get yourself in trouble fast, too. So it can, it can be a double-edged sword, if you will.
0: That's exactly right. So, no, I mean, the...
1: Auto, Autonomous, uh, uh,
0: the self-driving cars. When the self-driving cars, they go out, you know, you can't convince me that they have plumbed everything into those that could possibly happen. There's too many accidents. There's too many. I'm not as concerned about the uh, self-driving cars as I am the self-driving cars mixed with the driving cars, with the well, people it's, driving.
1: It's the self-driving And people semis. walking. It's the oh. self-driving tractor-trailers are the ones that, that, that give me concern. Oh, they, they've already been testing those for years now on the roads. No, road. I know, but but I'm saying if they ever had a malfunction the accident, would, already the tractor-trailer accident is already a spectacular event in its own right. But if, mm-hmm. if thankfully they have people on board of these trucks right now to at least monitor what they're doing. But if they completely mm-hmm. count on autonomous driving and there's nobody in that truck, what's going? I don't know what's going to happen. I, I know I'll be long dead and buried before I have to worry about it, and maybe not. Right. Who knows? The way this is moving along, who knows? So that's, okay. a, that's you a hang one. on ha- Go ahead, Jerry. I'm sorry. Right.
0: Hang on, hang on just a second. I've got two more tickets for the racetrack tonight. Tucson Speedway starts at five, and race start, uh gates open five. The race starts at six thirty. Uh, for callers number one and two. But two more family four packs. Two more family four packs. 719 1490. 719 1490. It's going to be one heck of a show tonight. 719 1490. I got two family four packs of tickets to give away for the callers number one and number two. 719 1490. Okay, Pat. So, uh, I per- go ahead, Jerry. Sorry about that. No, it's okay. We were talking about 18-wheelers. You don't want to splatter them. I had Jim on the radio last week, and he was talking about these things. And, man, I'm telling you, 18-wheeler, when they turn over, they don't – they block a bunch of traffic. And I just – you know, and it's frightening to think that this technology is out there. It's not frightening to think that, okay, if you're running cruise control – and I'm saying, okay, so you got a computer-controlled uh, cruise control – And it says, okay, the vehicle in front of you is running 55 miles an hour. What about the rain on the road? When you're running rain on the road, you don't set that cruise control because the cruise control is concerned about keeping your rear wheels spinning.
1: Exactly. Or the front wheels. So when you have,
0: yeah, it just, I mean, it's frightening. So for the people out there, when the monsoon season does get here, that's going to be where it actually gets rain. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, just remember if you're on the freeways and you're running those high speeds uh take that cruise control off and use your foot until you get to where the roads are still you know have traction on them and based on your tire wear and there's a lot of factors involved in that just don't use cruise control i had it one one time and i never will forget it and i was running 55 mile an hour speed zone right cruise control and uh it I run across and sort of hydroplane a little bit in the water on the side of the road. That car actually took off. The the speed slowed me down when I hit the water and the accelerator, the cruise control, picked it up. And I'm going, Holy cow. So that's that's when you hit the brakes and take cruise control off. But uh, you know, it just and it just popped up. It was driving at night, couldn't see it. And it just popped up. That's the reason at night when you're driving with cruise control, on wet roads, don't do it. It's safer not to do it. <laughs> it's safer for you to vary a mile or two or something like that than it is to go ahead and crash.
1: Well, I, I would have to agree. <coughs> I, I, I very rarely ever use cruise control. I do use it, but I very rarely ever use it because I just I feel better having control. I, I find myself, I get kind of a little bit relaxed and a little bit complacent when I'm driving with cruise, which it's easy to do. You have the AC on, you have the radio on, and, and you, you kind of get a little bit backed away from it. And I, I like to have a better control and, and at least kind of keep my my awareness up of what's going on because I, I just right. I'm just really I'm just there's just too many. I was going down. I to deliver deliver Park to a shop, and this was this week. Some guy in a Honda was coming at, and I, Jerry, I was doing 60 miles an hour, 60, I think 65. This guy went blasting mm-hmm. by in a, in a Honda Civic with California plates, and he had to be doing. If I if he wasn't doing 90 miles an hour, I'm I'm not pad. And I was just, yeah. and he was weaving in and out. and I thought, son of a bitch, this guy's gonna get in a bad accident. I was kind of, I mean, he he caught me off guard because normally I'm normally watching mirrors, but he came up right behind yeah. me and then zoomed over to the other lane and just hit over and then did a bunch of other zagging. It. I mean, it was just, I'm surprised he didn't get nailed. And I got off the freeway before hey, I could it- see people. Go ahead, John. I've seen that on Speedway.
0: I've seen that on Speedway, and there's a little Honda Civic, and it was one of those little hop-up jobbers. And exactly. he buzzed me, and I looked down. The first thing I did is look at the speedometer, and I'm running 45. Everybody else around me seemed to be running around 45, 46, something like that. And this guy was going in and out of traffic. He was he was driving that thing like a motorcycle. Exactly. And I'm going, but when we come to the stoplight, he was two car lengths ahead of him in the left-hand lane.
1: Well, that, that's and normally we how it works. They, they'll sit there and risk they'll risk life and limb and, and and property damage and God knows whatever else to sit there and make a fuse. I don't know what the I, I don't understand the mindset. I don't. I, I, and it's not really for me to understand. But I just don't see. I mean, when I was I was a lot younger, I drove like an idiot. You know, I'd sit there and do donuts and I'd sit there and do power slides and. You know, and of course I'd be tearing up my parents' car, which is something I'm deeply ashamed of to this day, or or tear up cars. You know, just complete disrespect of a, of a disrespectful teenager. And the problem is, yeah. when you get on the other side of that coin, you don't realize the property damage you're going to do. The, the the if you kill somebody, you have to live with that for the rest of your life. And then this is another thing I'm not proud of. When I used to drink there were times I would drive, and I would drive blackout, and, I, and I'm and i not proud to admit this, but through the grace of God, I didn't get a DWI. I didn't kill anybody. Um, I went off the road a couple times. The Chevy I have to this day, I have two brown doors on it that I bought from Kevin at Wall Brothers. Those doors are on there because I, on one of my blackouts, I smashed the right door, and to this day, I have no idea how I did it. And this is the the most insane part of, of, my, of my alcoholism at that point in time is I would sit there after a really bad hangover, get out of bed, and go through my wallet like I, I was getting, looking for citations. And this is how stupid my thinking got. And I thought, if you got a citation in the condition you're in, you would not be laying in bed. Right. I would have been arrested. So yep. the point being – Well – Go ahead, Jerry. Sorry about that. Well,
0: no, you go ahead.
1: But, but the the point being is that when you get behind the wheel, when you when you have no business being behind the wheel, you are are pushing the envelope of of, of what the definition of irresponsible, selfish, foolish behavior is all about. And I only well, say that because got, if, if go ahead, Jerry. Sorry about that. Yeah. You go.
0: No, it's okay. Uh, when when you drink, you're you're impaired. Okay. Uh, if you're taking, you, you can take some of this legal medication and you're impaired. Impaired sure. driving is impaired driving, whether you're 100%. taking, you know, legal medication, prescription drugs, or, or prescription medication, or any of that. The other thing, if you're taking medication and then you're texting on top of that, I don't know what to tell them anymore. You know, I know what Jim will tell them but you don't you don't you don't drink and drive drinking even a couple of beers will, will classify you as as impaired the penalties on it now are 50 times more than they were when we were kids oh god gotcha. and now yeah and we didn't have phones portable phones then i mean if you need to make a phone call believe it or not you actually pulled off the road you went to a phone booth you put your quarter in the phone booth in the phone and you made the phone call Then you get out, you go back, you get in your vehicle You go back on the road There is no texting and driving There is no talking on a phone and driving And so, you know Impaired driving or distracted driving And that's that's a real concern And what I'm concerned about And have been and watch out for it while I'm driving Let's say the car right beside you Is driving down the road and And this has happened to me is driving down the road and they get a phone call, mm-hmm. and then they reach over to get their phone. First thing you know, you got two people driving in in one lane, and that's you. And you're you're watching your right side to keep them running over them, but you're out of room on the left side. You get on your horn, and then all of a sudden they wake up and they jerk it back over to the other lane. Exactly. Don't. Text and drive. You know, a text will come, the average time to respond to a text is 13 minutes. So if you get a text, one, what can happen in 13 minutes? Find a place to pull off and then, make, then answer your text if you want to do the texting in there. Or they've got apps now that come through on your phone that says, sorry, I'm driving, we'll return your call later. I love that. Well, I love I that think- app
1: on the phone. I think the most telling thing to me and i'm gonna make two statements here to me and I'm speaking for myself because of of me doing this, but driving impaired to me is is an incredibly selfish, irresponsible act. The other thing I want to add to this is they've got these really really tragic but I think really pointed commercials where they have the survivor's family of somebody who's been killed because somebody texting. And I think the biggest yep. the biggest takeaway, they always say there's no message worth taking at this point. Wait till wait till you get home. Wait till whatever you're not driving, whatever you're not doing. When they show it surviving and then they show the picture of of their lost loved one, it it, it should it, it should really it it, it should really kinda of leave a message for everybody and, and leave feelings for everybody saying, You know what, maybe I'm not as important as I think I am, maybe that message can wait. Well, last week was Memorial Weekend, and we were talking about
0: fatigue. Fatigue is a big factor in wrecks. You know, sure. and it sure. you can call it anything you want to. Uh, fatigue causes a lot of a lot of things. It causes a slowdown in your response time. Uh, oh, it'll make driving. You, you, you know, ha- it'll you know, make it you see day. things
1: you haven't seen when but you're driving. You had- you're with, like I remember one time I was driving, and I was I was 20 hours driving. Back and forth, and and I was starting to see things on the road that was vivid, and I knew I finally had to pull off and get sleep. So that that there's so many things that can happen, like you said, your actions change, your mind starts throwing things in front of you that that are not there. it There's all kinds yeah. of things that happen, and it, it's it, it's you're right. Fatigue is a is a real factor as far as and and some people consider that as bad as driving impaired, which really in a lot of different ways it is. It impairment. is. It
0: is impaired driving.
1: Exactly. There's no other no other
0: way you you can sugarcoat it any way you want to. It's impaired driving. Hey, all right, buddy. Well, I got a. Uh, we're getting down to close hour. Thanks so much for the call. Good. Oh, it was my play.
1: Jerry. It was really nice talking with you. It was, it was really enjoyable. So I I, I really had a good time. Thank you so much. And I hope you all have right, a good buddy. weekend Thanks and all much. that other fun stuff. Have
0: a good weekend.
1: You bet. Take care, Bye-bye. Jerry. All right. We got one more little.
0: Well, we got one more sponsor to bring on, dot com. If you want to kick a tire, 2101 North Stone Avenue, 628-7500. Open Monday through Friday,
1: <coughs>
0: 9 to 6. Open Saturday, 9 to 4. His inventory is on that website, com. Easy to navigate. I went to it. He's got a lot of neat vehicles on there. He's got jeeps. He's got some diesels. Uh and he's got a he's got a diesel uh what was that? A diesel Ford uh, well the one brain fade. Uh like the suburban. But he's got a, one of those down there. So go to his website, find out what you want to uh, see what he's got, and if something that interests you, then go into 2101 North Stone Avenue, kick a tire, or call them 628-7500 to make sure it's still there. They're moving a lot of used vehicles now. Used vehicles are extremely expensive to what they used to be. That's only because of supply and demand. You don't have that much of a supply line going now. If you did, the dealerships wouldn't be trying to buy your – um vehicles outright so just remember and i'm running out of time here and i want to cover batteries just a little bit more when you uh you go in 24 to 30 months on a battery so if you're running 36 months on a battery you live in tucson arizona or around the country uh and you've got a car that's uh four five six years old uh the battery is according to the manufacturers 24 to 30 months in tucson And then up to 36 months if you're out of Tucson in a different environment. But have the shop that does your oil change check that battery every time you go in. And before you go on a vacation, that should be one of the checks that they do on a battery. They used to have a, a little strip that they'd peel off and tell you what month and year that you bought the battery. I haven't seen that on the last few batteries I bought. But... Uh, Keep your records in the dash, uh, but have that battery checked anyway, because when they do the battery check, they'll do the alternator check. They'll do the electrical check to make sure that everything's working the way it's supposed to be, because it's very aggravating to pull over to a rest stop. You can't get out of the rest stop, and you're about 50 miles from the nearest town, and the battery won't fire the thing off. Uh, By the way, you may want to put a set of uh, battery cables in your car just in case, just in case you run into a problem, and when you're hooking the batteries up, uh, hook the battery, put the positive on the positive post, and then go to a metal part that's grounded to the engine and hook the ground cable up. Uh, then do the same reverse thing on your own vehicle when you're getting ready to jump them off or to get them going. If it has a lot of debris on top of the battery, look like if somebody hosed it down with uh, a, an oil or something like that. Uh, be very careful because that is battery acid laying up there. It's highly flammable. It is explosive. Uh, I don't even recommend you doing it. And it's nothing wrong with telling them, no, I can't jump it. You've got too much debris on the battery. It could start a fire and burn this thing down. or will blow up in my face. Uh, always hook up the old battery first, step away from it, then hook it up to the good battery. And if you'll do that, you can probably live to do it the second time. Uh, so we've covered the heating issues. Uh, we're going to be covering a little bit, hopefully, some car care uh, as far as uh, keeping the paint good on your car next week. Uh, so if you have any questions on what we talked about on overheats on that car, get them things into your – call your garage, all your favorite garage, whoever you deal with, and express your concerns and see if you can't get it in to have it checked out and make sure that all of these components that I've listed, all of these components I listed on that list that we covered the last hour in detail uh, is something you need to take a look at in order to keep it cool it down. All right, we're out of time here. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the race tonight. Uh, And until next week, God bless, and we will talk to you next week, and we'll probably have uh, Javier from... Spectrum Ina Road and we'll talk that and I want to ask some hint, questions I have for Emily I'll send some the